You're listening to the Living Presence Podcast, exploring faith, meeting the world, from East Gwillimbury, Ontario. Welcome to the Living Presence Podcast for Sunday, February 17th. My name is Brianne Swan, and I am the Community Minister with the Living Presence Ministry, an emergent ministry of the United Church of Canada. It is still pretty cold here in East Gwillimbury, and one of the things about this new subdivision is that the sidewalks are nearly always icy, which makes walking Dobby the dog pretty precarious. At about 11.30pm on Thursday night, I was walking with Dobby around the Crescent when all of a sudden my phone started blaring in my pocket. It was a province-wide amber alert for an 11-year-old girl sent to every cell phone in the province. At about midnight, we received a follow-up message saying that the girl had been found, but after a quick search on Twitter, it was immediately clear that Raya Rajkumar had tragically been killed. Now, Twitter, Twitter can be a bit of a cesspool sometimes. And among the tweets expressing sorrow and rage at Raya's murder, there were also an incredibly large number of tweets complaining about the Amber Alert waking them up or startling them. And so some people, some people started to actually call 911 to complain that the Amber Alert was an inconvenience. Now, the more gracious and kind part of me likes to think that there would be a good reason why people could feel so entitled that they were offended when law enforcement agencies asked them to help find a missing child like some sort of deep emotional trauma that prevents people from dipping into their compassion reserves for life and death emergencies. But the other part of me, the part that is not very nice, is right there with McLean's writer Scott Gilmore when he writes, If you are angry about your phone blowing up when a child is in danger, you are horrible people. Now, I have imaginings about the people who listen to this podcast that I record at three in the morning at my Ikea desk by candlelight. And so I'm not imagining that anybody listening to this show is one of the people who called 911. I hope to God that nobody listening to this show was one of the people who called 911 to complain. But on today's episode... We have John Helps reading from a recent UFC fight, Luke's version of the Beatitudes. Our second reading is actually the same passage of Luke we'll hear from John, but from a different translation of the Bible called The Message, which has been penned entirely by Eugene Peterson. We'll hear Louis Pugard Muller cover Bob Dylan from the streets of Amsterdam. But first, 
in the hopes that those who were inconvenienced, resentful, and indignant about the Amber Alert being sent out on Thursday night. Here is Norwegian singer-songwriter Sigri Usa with her cover of Jackie DeShannon's 1969 release, Put a Little Love in Your Heart. You can find Sigri and her music online by going to our show notes. Think of your fellow man, lend him a helping hand, put a little love in your heart. You see it's getting late, oh please don't hesitate, put a little love in your heart. And the world, and the world will be a better place, and the This is John Helps, and I'm in Toronto at Scotia Centre Place for the UFC 231, Max Holloway versus Brian Ortega. And I'm reading Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 26. 
he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. That was John Helps reading from Luke's Gospel at the Scotiabank Centre prior to a UFC fight in Toronto. Now I know we are way past Christmas, but I want to start this reflection with a little bit of a story. The Christmas just before I turned 11 years old, I was at a party in the parking lot of the Miracle Food Mart in Orillia, Ontario. If you don't live in Ontario, or are simply too young to remember, Miracle Food Mart was a pretty popular grocery chain up until the mid-1990s when it was taken over by A&P Dominion Foods, which has since been rebranded as Metro. Actually, I was told that it was a Christmas party, but it was really a rally, a festive rally, mind you, but a rally nonetheless. It was a rally of striking food retail workers. Beginning in November 1993 and ending in February 1994, the 14-week job action was the longest retail strike in Ontario history, and one of the longest in Canada. It was angry, it was bitter. Blue-collar strikes are often very different than those of unionized professionals. I remember stories of fistfights on the picket lines, black eyes, bloody noses, broken bones. The end result, and in my opinion, the direct result of grossly inadequate union leadership, was an across-the-board $1.75 wage decrease for full-time workers, full-time job hours moving from 37 hours a week to 24 hours, and 700 jobs being eliminated from a 6,500-person workforce. Women overwhelmingly bore the brunt of the wage losses, and the hardest-hit department across all 63 stores in Ontario was the meat department. My father is a meat cutter, a trade that required a three-year apprenticeship. 
with most butchering and meat cutting moving to a large factory operation in the GTA, my father was one of those 700 workers all but forced into taking a buyout. But let's go back to Christmas. By the time Christmas came around, the Miracle Food Mart employees had been on strike for over six weeks. Now, Christmas is a hard time not to have any income. So all the employees who had kids submitted the gender and ages to their union rep, and the union provided donated toys to the families so that all the kids would have something to open on Christmas morning. My father was given toys to put under the tree for us. Now I have three younger brothers, and each of them received a reasonably acceptable gift. But my present was a fake plastic makeup kit, the kind that you give to a toddler. Toy lipstick, toy blush. I was going to be 11 in five days, and I was not, what you may say, a very girly girl. I had approximately 0% interest in makeup, or the color pink. It was probably the worst Christmas gift that I had ever received in my life. And my father, he was absolutely mortified. He had to leave the room. And it wasn't until I was older that I was able to put my finger on what it was my father was probably feeling at that moment. Shame. It was shame. Our text from Luke this week, it feels familiar, but maybe a bit more familiar than it actually is. When we think of the Beatitudes, we are mostly thinking of Matthew's version. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers. It's Matthew's version that gets embroidered onto muslin by those crafty church ladies. It's Matthew's version that gets parodied by Monty Python. What was that? I don't know. It's too busy talking a big nose. I think it was blessed are the cheesemakers. <laughs> What's so special about the cheesemakers? Well, obviously, it's not meant to be taken literally. It refers to any manufacturers of dairy products. This week marks 25 years passing since the end of the Miracle Food Workers' Strike. 25 years this coming Thursday. The end of that strike marked the end of my family's financial stability. From that moment on, everything was precarious. How and what we ate changed. What extracurricular activities we could participate in changed. And our house went on the market so many times. And I remember the constant anxiety about our home, an old Edwardian farmhouse on 50 acres of land. Would we be forced to move? Would the bank foreclose on the mortgage? And if we had to leave, where would we go? These were the thoughts that would run through my head at night after overhearing my parents stressing and sometimes arguing about what to do. Were we ever in danger of ending up on the street? No. 
but one of the hidden casualties of precarious work, of unstable finances, is one sense of safety and security. That feeling that things are going to be okay. And so I remember sitting in the pews of my tiny country church and hearing, Happy and blessed are you poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. And me, at this point a teenager and deep in my sarcastic and snarky phase, I remember thinking, Yeah, right. Screw you, Jesus. Screw you. There was definitely some swearing going on under my breath in the back of the sanctuary because, to my thinking, Jesus obviously didn't know anything about poverty if he could, in any amount of seriousness, talk about it being a blessing. Quite frankly, it read like a capitalist manifesto, meant to keep the plebeians docile so the wealthy elite could continue their reign of economic exploitation. All those poor folks are way less likely to call you to task for ongoing oppression if they believe there is actually some benefit to being poor. And so I hated the kitschy cross-stitch hangings. This was not a Christ who got me. But this is Luke. And you're not going to find Luke's version of the Beatitudes hanging on the walls of the church hall. Probably because Luke adds something that Matthew doesn't. The woes. Oh, those woes. Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are fed. Woe to those who laugh, for you have already had your easy life. Now let's be clear here, for those listening to these words, they would have seemed completely absurd. In fact, if you think about it, so much of the gospel is completely and utterly absurd. Last week we heard about Jesus calling his first disciples. We heard about experienced fishermen on their own boat deferring to a carpenter. And that massive catch of fish, an economic windfall, they just left it. Right there, on the beach, for anybody to take, in order to follow a fellow Galilean with no particular prestige or social clout, who had a vision of what was possible for God's people. But we've skipped forward in Luke's story quite a bit from last week to this. And Jesus has been busy, very busy. There have been healings, so many healings. A bunch of dudes even cut a hole in the roof of a house Jesus was visiting so their buddy could be healed. It was a desperate situation, and Jesus was their last hope. The word has been spreading far and wide about this miraculous and prophetic man. And by now, Jesus is a rock star. We're talking cover of Time magazine, Galilee's most influential Jews under 35. 
Last Wednesday, representatives, both clergy and lay, from approximately eight local United Churches met in the parlor of Knox United Church in Sutton. With the restructuring of our denomination, pastoral charges have been encouraged to form clusters, groupings of congregations loosely based on geography, seeking to find what they can do together more effectively than they can do alone. For the past two meetings, we've been looking at how we might respond to the near crisis of poverty and precarious housing in northern York region. In some translations of Luke, blessed and woe are translated as happy and terrible. None of these four words feels very accurate. I mean, I'm happy when my husband remembers how I take my tea. None of these words seem powerful enough to reflect what Jesus is talking about here. So it might be more helpful to think of this passage in terms of the honor and shame system so prevalent in Jesus's time. It is this same system that makes an unwed mother giving birth to the Son of God so scandalous. And really, every story we read and hear in Luke, it all circles back to that song, the song that Mary sings when she is visited by an angel, a song about the beautiful absurdity of the tables turning finally turning for the benefit of her community. She sings, He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Shame and honor. Is it really so different now? Is it really such a different system? We have an unfortunate tendency in the United Church circles to think of those experiencing poverty as those outside our congregations. We talk of the poor as if they are an other, an other deserving of our charity however misguided our charity models are, and perhaps even our advocacy. But we are still advocating for people we are imagining exist outside of our buildings and not sitting among us. And this is not true. And because of that language, because of that mostly unconscious thinking, those among us can feel an incredible amount of shame when they need help and support. I once ran an out-of-the-cold lunch program in downtown Toronto. We'd serve 300 meals every Tuesday. But there was one man I remember very clearly. He had recently lost his job in the financial services industry, and he would show up for lunch in a suit and sit by himself as far as he could from the other guests. I remember sitting down to talk to him, and the first words out of his mouth were, I'm not poor or anything. I'm just in a bit of a tight spot right now. Because to be poor, 
that would be shameful. And the shame is heartbreaking to hear. The shame of feeling that poverty is a personal failure and not the result of overwhelmingly unjust systems which always, always, always favor the powerful. Because poverty is never the fault of the poor. I am certain the CEO of this man's company was not experiencing the consequences of his company's failings. Shame and honor. Who decides? Who bears the consequences? And so what does this mean for us? Well, as the months go on, you are likely going to hear more and more about the work of the South Simcoe Waters Cluster, and I'll be inviting you to follow us as we explore how, as a Christian and specifically United Church group of communities, we might respond, actively respond, to environmental and economic injustices occurring within our communities. We will be called to speak openly from an informed and educated place to the public and to politicians about what it means to take care of the vulnerable among us and what it takes for everybody to have the opportunity to live healthy, sustainable, spirit-filled lives. And there may be a cost to this. Members of the greater community may not like what we have to say. There may be pushback This kind of work, it is not easy. And Luke knows this. While Luke's primary audience is poor, it was not his only audience. Luke had a patron, and his patron's name was Theophilus. Theophilus would not have been poor. He would have been a man with social clout, a man of means. Luke knew that for the powerful to join the Jesus community, they would likely become outcasts in a way that they had never experienced before. Quoting from the work of Bruce Molina and Richard Rohrbach, social ostracism is always the fate of the poor in society, but social ostracism may become the fate of the rich who join Jesus groups that include the poor. Luke knows the terrible costs involved for rich Jesus group members, but is uncompromising in his demand that these costs be paid. And so, too, are we called to stand alongside our neighbors. It is not so much woe to you who are rich, but rather woe to you who are rich at the expense of others. Woe, woe to you who can see nothing beyond your own riches. So we are called to come down from the mountain onto level ground and risk, truly risk, because church is not easy. I can't for the life of me remember the source of this quote, 
but I once heard that rather than create an expectation of safety in our congregations, we should be handing out chisels and hard hats when people walk through the doors. At its deepest and most authentic, church is not easy. It would have meant something 25 years ago if churches in Ontario collectively took a stand against the corporation and the union that sold out people like my father and my family. Could it have changed the system? Maybe. But mostly... It would have done something to spread balm over the shame of the workers who lost their livelihoods through no fault of their own. Because that shame was not theirs to bear. Poverty is never the fault of the poor. Jesus knew this, and I pray that we do too. You can read more about the Miracle Food Retailer Strike, as well as a really great article by York University Gender, Sexuality, and Women's Studies professor Dr. Jan Kaner by going to our show notes. And they battle outside and it's raging. 
Our mother sat father throughout the land And now don't criticize who you don't understand Cause your sons and your daughters have young to command And the old road is rapidly aging oh, So get out of the new one if you can lend your hand Oh the times they are aging The lightning is strong and the curse it is kind and the slow one now, he will later be fast as the present now will later be fast. Well, the order is rapidly fading. Oh, and the first one now, he will later be last for the time. Luke chapter 6, verses 17 to 26, from the message. Coming down off the mountain with them, he stood on a plain surrounded by disciples, and was soon joined by a huge congregation from all over Judea and Jerusalem, and even from the seaside towns of Tyre and Sidon. They had come both to hear him and to be cured of their ailments. Those disturbed by evil spirits were healed. Everyone was trying to touch him, so much energy surging from him, and so many people healed. Then he spoke, You're blessed when you've lost it all. God's kingdom is there for the finding. You're blessed when you're ravenously hungry. Then you're ready for the messianic meal. You're blessed when the tears flow freely. Joy comes with the morning. Count yourself blessed every time someone cuts you down or throws you out, every time someone smears or blackens your name to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort, and that person is uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Skip like a lamb, if you like, for even though they don't like it, I do, and all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My preachers and witnesses have always been treated like this. But it's trouble ahead if you think you have it made. What you have is all you will ever get. And it's trouble ahead if you're satisfied with yourself. Yourself will not satisfy you for long. And it's trouble ahead if you think life's all fun and games. 
There is suffering to be met, and you are going to meet it. There's trouble ahead when you live only for the approval of others, saying what flatters them, doing what indulges them. Popularity contests are not truth contests. Look how many scoundrel preachers were approved by your ancestors. Your task is to be true, not popular. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We'll be back next week with some of Jesus' most familiar words. Love your neighbor, turn the other cheek, and do unto others as you would have them do to you. And along with that, some more new music and readings. Take care of yourselves, and we'll see you next week. podcast is brought to you by the Living Presence Ministry, a community ministry of the United Church of Canada. You can find us online at www.livingpresenceministry.org.